You're listening to Sound the Foghorn, the Minnesota Wild podcast made by fans for fans. For Kaprizov, back to Zuccarello, back to Kaprizov, he scores! Covering team news, prospect analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, advanced stats, and much more. Back to Kaprizov, he scores! And now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyat, and Justin Baki. Hello, and welcome in to another episode of Sound the Foghorn's first episode to kick off what is hopefully a very long playoff season for the Minnesota Wild. Zeke Boyat, Justin Baki, and Brett Marshall back here with you Sunday, April 16th. Uh, at the time of this recording, we are about 24 hours away uh, from the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. Game one of the Western Conference quarterfinals, the two-seeded Stars and your three-seeded Minnesota Wild. This show will focus heavily on breaking down that matchup from top to bottom. Uh, but before we get into all of that, have some other things to get to first off the hop. So we'll start, as we always do, checking in with the fellas. Guys, it's been about eh, like a week and a half uh, mm-hmm. since we jumped on for the pod here. Didn't think it would make sense to jump on last week with one game left in the yeah. regular season. So since then, Justin, uh, how have you been doing? Uh, how's life? Uh, it's really well. Just uh, kind of my busy work week, and uh, we're kind of in the beginning of baseball season, although with the snow and the cold, we might be putting it on hold again for (laughs) another week or two, but uh, I'm coaching my son's team and had our first practice. So that was good. And uh, yeah, just uh, chasing around springs, spring hockey and and dance. And that's, that's the life right there. Married life with kids. (laughs) And Zeke, what about you, my friend? Yeah, not too much, uh, not too much stress going on. Just, well, except for today, like Justin mentioned, been enjoying the nice weather, you know, hanging outside, driving around uh, in the free time. And uh, it's just, you know, it's weird. It's only been like three days, but, you know, no hockey games on since last, you know, Thursday. Now it's every night I go check, you know, the ESPN plus and thinking I'll put random game on and then you're like, oh, damn, there's not any on. So anxious to get going uh, tomorrow night with not just the wild, but all the all the other games as well. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, coming up to that, you know, that, that just most wonderful time of the year where you, you know, kind of the next two weeks, you get to watch hockey every single night, awesome games, great matchups this year, should be should be lots of fun, um, lots of storylines. Uh, before we get into NHL playoffs, I'm not going to skip over the prospects this week because there's still stuff going on, so Justin, that is your area of expertise, so bring us through the prospect update. All right, so a lot of scenes have uh, either ended or are dwindling, but uh, still quite a bit to talk about. Uh, first thing we'll talk about, Mar- Marshall Warren. Who knows what will end up with him in our system, but he did transfer from Boston College to Michigan. Uh, seems like everyone's going to Michigan or Michigan State through the transfer portal, but uh, Michigan Wolverine he is nonetheless. Then Marat, who is Nadinov's season ended for SKA, but... Uh, he also made the Russia, Russia 25 team. That'll begin in May. If you want to see the schedule, I have it retweeted on the Young Guns page. Uh, 
Liam Ugrin and Drew Gardens is in the championship series. He's had a really good playoffs, 11 points, 10, 10 games. He's second in the all hockey all Zavanskin league in playoff points, which is a pretty good sign considering how good of a regular season he had got injured, kind of got back into it again. And then now he's just basically picking up where he was in the regular season there. Then David Spacek, his team has won all five playoff games they've played. He's got four points in the five games. He scored his first goal. Uh, last game they played, his team is up one to nothing in their second round series. Carson Lambos is up to three points after picking up an assist, and they're up in their second round series as well. Uh, I think they were the best team in the WHL, uh, basically a wagon, <laughs> along with Kamloops, who is up to nothing in their series as well. Caden Bankier had one goal, two assists last night, just cruising through these playoffs. He's got 12 points in the six games. And then Kyle Masters also had an assist in that game, up to three points in six playoff games. So they're doing well. Um, then outside of uh, that, Iowa had a win and they're in the playoffs uh, situation today. Went down early in the game, one nothing. Got a little nervous, but then uh, they came storming back. Swaney scored two goals. One of them ended up being the game winner. Eventually went up four to one, won five to two in the end. Wallstead looked really great in the second half of the game that I watched, and uh, they did their job. They made the playoffs, so they will begin April nineteenth, and then they'll end up playing Rockford in the best of three series, which you know. Iowa ended up fourth in the Central, which what they needed to do was make the playoffs. Um, I didn't realize that their first playoff series was the best of three, but it's awesome that they made it. This is the second time in their their mm-hmm. Iowa's history that they've made the playoffs. So, do we know who uh, their opponent is in that opening round? Yep, it's the Rockford Ice Hogs. So I think they've actually played decent this year. Yeah, they've if had some pretty correctly. close games. Yeah, I think uh, I'd have to look at the schedule, but I think they've played some pretty close games together. I might, I might have that here. Uh, I get it pulled up as well. <laughs> yeah, a uh, good friend of the show, Dan Bradley, who uh, does a podcast. The name of it escapes me. On the AHL, covers it all year. Uh, Iowa seven three and two against Rockford in the regular season. So, so uh, that's you know, only three regulation losses in twelve games. Uh, <laughs> gotta like those odds going in. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think this is significant a little bit from a Minnesota Wild playoff perspective. Obviously, we'll talk about lines a little bit later in the show, but, you know, Marco Rossi maybe had a chance to, to squeak his way into the playoff lineup. Um, didn't do so, even with Jewel Eric Sinek out of the lineup, at least from what we've seen. Um, obviously, was sent back down. We've seen Sam Steele, Freddie Goudreau uh, kind of filling in in those two, three spots. Um, so he was sent back down to Iowa. Um, along with some other, uh, you know, all the slew of Iowa fours that were called up to to fill some roles here: Damian Drew, Nick Sweeney, Sammy Walker, Nick Patan, uh, the whole gambit of of wild Iowa wild forwards. There uh, got a little taste in the NHL, um, but I think this is a little bit significant because it wouldn't shock me, you know, barring you know maybe another one one or two significant injuries to the wild four group, if most of those guys, you know, Rossi, uh, the now healthy Adam Beckman included. Um, maybe stayed down there 
um, for Iowa's playoff uh, run, you know, versus, you know, would it be potentially beneficial to practice with the big club? Maybe. Um, but I think it'd you know, be even more beneficial to play in big games, you know, guys like Rossi, Beckman, playing those big minutes uh, versus practicing with the team and then sitting in the press box. So um, no confirmation on what will happen with those guys yet, but that would be that would be my assumption, which may be to the bane um, of some other uh, wild fans. But that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, it's, you know, I think Rossi looked a little better in this last game or two that he played. But, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, I know you could, say well they're throwing Faber right in there but you know obviously different position different ages different situation all that but it you know that's a tough ask when he's been down in the minors all year and to you know at that point this you know if he's coming in playing a top six role I mean depending on the score I mean we saw that he's you know he's just he's not ready I don't think and uh like Brett said that's that's the best option rather than just sitting in the press box and watching the games is to play in the games and uh, continue to work on getting a little bit more of the, uh, I guess, the attitude and using his, uh, you know, keep improving on his skills down there where he'll be able to do that. Yeah, and I, I think this is good for him, not just him, just really like Volstead and all these guys that will eventually be up is they're getting big minutes. I mean, obviously his first, first power play unit, first line, they're going to be <clears throat> in big games, playoff games, and, uh, you know, this is something Iowa hasn't really seen a whole lot. And, uh, these guys are going to be getting big minutes doing it. Uh, it's just going to be good for their development, in my opinion, instead of, like you said, sitting in the press box. And also, if worse comes to worse, you know, we want Iowa to make a run. But if worse comes to worse, they could be here for game four versus Dallas. Who knows if they'd mm-hmm. even slide into the lineup, but they could be, like you mentioned, black aces. <clears throat> uh, we do want Iowa to make a run, though. I'd rather have them make a run than have them sit in the press box and watch our, our wild play. But, um, I mean, that could feasibly happen. Yeah, so definitely something to watch, but that would be uh, my assumption. But one, uh, you know, young player who may have potentially played himself into the lineup uh, over these last couple games here uh, is University of Minnesota defenseman Maple Grove, Minnesota. Whoop, whoop, go Zeke's hometown. Uh, Native Brock Faber. Uh, Just two games uh, he got with the Wild, but looked impressive um, in both of those games. Um, And now it sounds like potentially... Um, he has worked his way into the playoff lineup, but kind of before we talk playoffs, just wanted to get kind of your guys' impressions of, you know, the, the, the first two games Brock Faber played, you know, that gave him somewhat of a little bit of a rotation of defensive partners. I think he played, you know, got ice time with Alex Goligoski. Mm-hmm. I think he played a little bit with Jake Middleton and then a little bit with um, John Klingberg uh, as well. I I felt like he didn't look out of place, uh, maybe a little nerves at the beginning of the first game, but uh, even though they weren't playing any opponent really uh, of, you know, they weren't really very good opponents, he still uh, played really well. You saw him doing a lot of things that he did at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I mean, you saw him in that first game at six block shots and then, you know, made some solid defensive plays. And then you also saw him, you know, jump up into the play at the right times and, and you know, he's moving the puck well like he did at the University of Minnesota. So, you know, that's, you know, good science. He's only going to get better and, and, and exciting to see that he's basically feeling as comfortable here as he did at the University of Minnesota, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, you agree with everything Justin said and just the fact that it's impressive to, I mean, obviously, you know, it seems like the team has thought that he would be able to step in right away for a while. Uh, you know, it's always a little bit, you're always kind of just a little unsure of, you know, exactly how it's going to go because even, 
felt, you know, playing in the national championship game, you know, in the NCAA is a huge, is a big stage, especially against, you know, a lot of teams in college, you can have guys who are, you know, 22, 23 years old and physically mature and, you know, you know, at, at times pro kind of builds, but uh, the fact that he's, you know, went from playing in college to two days later playing in NHL, you know, I'll beat against the bad Chicago team and then the non-playoff team in Nashville is, you know, is a really good sign, you know, not anything too, you know, he's not, obviously we know this, he's not super flashy of a player, but he is, you know, you could really see his skating. Uh, as just mentioned, he was hustling back after pucks, uh, you know, able to move around really well. And like you, you mentioned, Brett, uh, a couple nights ago, looked actually pretty decent on the, uh, when they switched him and Klingberg onto that third pair. So I guess, you know, obviously he might be hurt now, so who knows, but it, it seems like he's got the, uh, the upper hand to play game one at the very least. Yeah, you know, overall, I mean, not much else you could expect out of a, a young player coming straight out of college, you know, on top of that, coming off the national championship loss on Saturday and then being thrown basically into your first NHL game 24 hours later. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, just the, emo- the you know, the mental fortitude, like to, to block that out and, and really yeah. take in the NHL experience – uh, Brock Faber led the Minnesota Wild in ice time in his in his first career NHL game. I believe he played over 21 minutes. Uh, followed that up with I believe 19 minutes the other night against Nashville. Uh, over 20 minutes of ice per night on average through his first two games at five on five, sporting a very nice 55.2% uh, expected goal share, including a, I think it was a 91% uh, expected goal share with John Klingberg, which like that's a, like, unheard of to be able to like prop up John Klingberg. Um, defensively. Now, again, you know, pretty meaningless game against the Nashville Predators where neither team really had anything to play for. People are playing not to get hurt. But, um, and we saw pretty porous games from everyone else on that blue line, including, you know, regulars like Middleton, like Merrill, Goligoski. Um, I think Dumba was in that one, didn't have a great game either. But it was that pairing, that Faber Klingberg pairing, that really kind of, you know, they were the ones that did seem to kind of drive the play at both ends of the ice. Uh, I think, Justin, you mentioned six block shots in his first game, followed that up with three. And his next one, nine block shots, um, getting outshot attempted when he's on the ice, but just, you know, a lot of perimeter shots, um, Faber, obviously blocking a lot of those shots, um, you know, hasn't been on the ice for a goal yet, any situation, um, against one, you know, on the ice for one goal, uh, for the wild. So a plus one through two games, um, with those nine blocks, um, and then deployment wise too, the wild seemingly, you know, have some good trust in him playing different situations, um, he has, you know, pretty much as many uh, defensive zone starts as he does offensive zone starts. Um, they've put him a lot in the neutral zone, so definitely not a guy they're they're afraid to put out in defensive situations. And then I believe too is in that Chicago game when the goalie was pulled uh, late. Brock Faber was also out there on the ice defending a lead um, when a lot of the you know uh, a lot of solid you know guys that have played for the Wild mm-hmm. all year, guys like Goligoski who have played you know over a thousand games in the NHL. Uh, he was the one being leaned on, so you know. He wasn't, you know, at least from the hop, not expected to come in and bring offense. It was the skating, the defense, and all of that to me came very much as advertised in those first couple games, looking like he belonged. Um, and the one thing I was skeptical about was like, man, he has looked good, but would they, one, be willing to put two right-handed shots on their third pair? And number two, do you really want to put the the defensive liable uh, the defensive liability in Klingberg with a rookie with two games and Brock Faber and the coaches mm-hmm. pretty much seemed like, fuck it. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, they they did have uh, John Klingberg slid uh, to that left side. 
Um, and it seemed like that was potentially going to be the pairing for game one. Uh, but then, of course, John Klingberg, apparently a lower body injury, um, did not practice today. So whether or not he plays tomorrow uh, in question, it seemed like if he doesn't, um, it will be John Merrill, which to me is a little bit surprising considering, you know, how well Goligoski and Faber did play. Um, but they clearly have, you know, all year seem to have a little bit more favor toward Merrill um, than Goligoski. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know what, what he couldn't really ask for much more uh, than what you got out of Brock Faber in his first two games. No, and it not only makes you excited for what you saw now, but uh, for the future, because you know he's going to continue to develop into uh, a very good player and, mm-hmm. and, and watch this Fiala trade, play, trade pay off. <laughs> Yeah, Kevin Fiala, who I don't know is going to be playing in game one for the LA Kings due to injury. Yeah, he's been hurt so. for a while. Dude, he's on my fantasy team. I know that. <laughs> like, obviously, not a shot at Kev, but I'm. You know, no, not at all. And we always talked about, you right. know, the, a big reason the Wild moved off from Kevin Fiala was playoff performance because he pretty much went invisible for two wild straight playoffs. Yeah. And now he might not straight up not even be available. Um, yeah, right. is, he's been arguably the Kings' best forward all year, which is yeah, a, that's yeah. a huge loss for them right. against, especially when you're going up against the Oilers, who are an offensive mm-hmm. powerhouse. Yeah. yeah. So. No, for sure. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about Faber um, in that third pairing in a bit. There was another pretty big piece of news uh, that dropped in the middle of the game uh, on Thursday. Uh, something we thought would probably be coming here. I think we even may have got the term in the AAV, like, Pretty spot on. Um, and that was Freddie Goudreau um, given a five-year, just over, I think it would have been $10.5 million uh, extension. So $2.1 million average annual value. Uh, Freddie Goudreau, I think, slated to turn 30, I think, sometime in the next month or two. Um, so, you know, a veteran a veteran presence in that wild locker room. Uh, but, you know, I think when we did talk about that potential of Freddie getting extended, I think we talked about, you know, it would not be surprised if it's a one to two million dollar deal that spans four, five, six years. Um, and there was a lot of outcry, I think, about the the term on it. Um, is a fifteen team uh, modified no trade clause on that as well. Um, but I think in the grand scheme of things, if you look at, you know, what Freddie has brought to this team, and that's you know somewhat of this utility knife that you know this is a guy that's played on pretty much every line except the fourth line this year. He plays mm-hmm. second power play. He's one of the primary penalty killers. You know, it's not a great face-off percentage, but I think he has been their best, like, full-time center in the dot. Uh, yeah. Face-off-wise, you know, obviously an excellent uh, excellent guy in the shootout. Um, a teammate the whole lineup respects, and especially the coaches and the GM. So, yeah. you know, when I first saw the deal, I didn't love the term, but you kind of thought about it, and you go, okay, well, three, you know, they're two years, two, three years away from being out of cap hell, at which point $2 million is going to mean pretty much nothing. I mean, ELCs probably at that point are going to be costing you, you know, $1.2 million. So, you know, 900000 extra than probably what an entry-level rookie contract is going to cost you. Um, it's a guy that maybe, you know, back end of that career, is he going to bring you the offense? No, but he's a good skater, can play defense. You know, I don't think at age 34 or 35 he would probably be complaining too much about if, you know, hey, we're going to slide you into the fourth-line role. Um, maybe bump up somebody else, you know, maybe it's a who's and Dinoff or, you know, one of these other younger forwards that slot up the lineup. But, um, you know, I really don't get the outcry for, you know, just the ultimate role player um, and Freddie Goudreau at, you know, two million bucks. It's not like they threw five, you know, five, six million dollars at the guy, you know, it's, it's two million bucks. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he's had a great year this year, career highs, I think, in goals. 
Um, possibly an assist in points. I don't know off the top of my head, but um, not assist, but uh, not assist or points either. Yeah, but a career high in Last goals. Goal. Yeah, but mm-hmm. you know, overall, um, you know, I think if maybe it's one year less on the term, maybe it looks a little bit better. But I think all things considered, I think it's a lot less than what he probably would have gotten uh, on the open market as well. And I think I think a good point you just made there, Brett, too, is about you know you mentioned how some people were you know, almost worried that, you know, him being signed for five years is going to block being up and coming players. But as you said, you know, he's a very versatile guy. He doesn't seem to be, you know, he seems to know what, you know, what his job is, what his role is, what kind of player is. And, you know, I I agree. I don't think that's really going to be a problem at all. Like you said, just slide him down a spot, move him around. It'll all work out fine. And, you know, as for the money, like you said, $2.1 million, pretty, pretty cheap, reasonable deal, you know, for a guy who is a cent, you know, like you said, he's essentially a th- good third line center who, you know, at his best, even if he's only scoring, th- you know, 15 ish goals and you know, maybe 40 points a year, if that's, you know, if that guy's on your third line and can move up. And, and, you know, even if he's not, you know, wasn't necessarily the driver on the Fiala and Boldy line last year, he was part of it for basically that whole year. So, like you said, he is capable of, you know, substituting in and, you know, at least keeping, you know, his have above water in a bigger, you know, bigger role, bigger situation. And obviously we all know the, you know, the little things defensively and two way game that maybe to a lot of us, to, to a lot of fans like us don't necessarily always show up, you know, right on when you see it with your eyes and aren't as sexy, but are, you know, almost very just as important uh, as being able to score goals. So it's, uh, you know, it, I, I, I'm really happy with it. I think, it's, you know, it's pretty great, you know, seeing his story just kind of going from, you know, a couple of years ago, having pretty much no idea who he was to now, a, you know, full, really big part of this team and signed here for, you know, the next half decade, I think it's awesome for him and awesome for the team. Yeah, I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I actually really like this deal. Um, like you guys mentioned, he has a, had a really good year. I feel like he improves with each year and we got to remember too that, uh, before the wild, he didn't really get much of a chance at the NHL level. Uh, going back the four years before us, he played nine, 20, 55, and 19 games. So um, I just think with the, the time on ice that we've given him and, and trusting him, he's, you know, continues to get better and, you know, plays a good 200 foot game and adding 19 goals and then leading the, <laughs> one of the leaders in the NHL in shootout goals is, you know, just just an addition. I know people were worried about the term, like the length, which I thought maybe a little long, but it's also fine considering, you know, he'll be a 34, 35-year-old that, you know, right now he's only played 260 career games. So it's not like a 34-year, like a 29-year-old that's played uh, double or triple that. So, uh, you know, I'm fine with it. I think he'll play his role, especially when some of these young guys start coming up. You're going to need guys to fill – the bottom two lines and I, I don't think he'll block any anyone really because no. the guys that we have come in we're planning on going further up the lineup you'd think so um I'm, I'm happy with it and I, I think he deserves it yeah without a doubt um yeah so I mean that was kind of the two you know notable storylines nice. I guess the other one which we can sort of you know hit on a two for one here um in one of those kind of meaningless games, uh, center Drew Erickson Eck uh, took a slap shot off the, I think it was like his left or right ankle, um, left mm. the game, was determined to be week to week, looked like his availability 
uh, for the playoffs was, you know, kind of in question, you know, like three days ago, it was like, well, if, if this series, yeah. you know, goes deep, uh, he might have a chance to come back. So to me in my head, that's maybe like game five, six, seven. And all of a sudden today, Jewel Erickson, you know, yesterday on the bike with the trainers skates today, 45 minute skate with the skating coach, Andy Ness. Um, and then Bill Guerin, Andy Nevison saying, yeah, well, if he gets clearance from the doctors, uh, he'll be in the lineup tomorrow, which is just insane. Um, I mean, it's been well documented, you know, how, how good, um, and what, you know, how, how well Jewel Erickson takes care of his body. And, you know, obviously is he at a hundred percent right now? No, there's not a shot. Um, but you know, I will take 80% of Jewel Erickson over a hundred percent of Sam Steele, um, 10 times out of 10. Um, so could he play tomorrow? That's yet to be seen, but I mean, that was going to be a really big storyline for us, but now it sounds like could be as soon as game one. And if not game one, um, game two and probably for sure game three don't seem um, out of them a possibility. So excellent news there because, um, mm -hmm. you know, you look at what, as we kind of transition here into this playoff preview against the Stars, um, you know, I think when you look at their, you know, both teams, it's, you know, teams that are built you know, probably pretty similarly, right? They've got arguably one of the best top lines in the NHL, uh, with Joe Pavelski, Rupe, Hans, Jason Robertson, um, who, you know, kind of is the engine of their offense, you know, not too indifferent from the way that Hartman, Kaprizov, and Zuccarello have sort of served as an engine of the wild offense all year. Um, and you kind of, you know, build that backwards. They have, you know, a pretty decent blue line um, led by Miro Haskinen, who is probably one of the most underrated, you know, two-way defenders in the NHL. Yeah. And then, of course, Jake Ottinger, uh, the pride of Lakeville, Minnesota, who's been, you know, arguably, you know, just as good as Philip Gustafson this year, probably could be in the Vesna conversation and has been a huge part of uh, Dallas, I think, kind of exceeding um, a lot of people's expectations um, heading into this year. So I think when you kind of look at all those things, what you need to do to probably beat Dallas and it's, you know, shut down, you know, that Robertson line. Um, and obviously you have some guys in your blue line, your Brodines, your Spurgeons that could be in charge of that. But that just gets a lot, I don't want to say easier, but less difficult uh, if you have Jeweler Chenek, you can match up against that line um, as well. And we saw just how good, you know, that Boldy, Johansson, Eric Chenek line was down the stretch too. So his return would be absolutely massive, uh, no doubt. Well, especially when you look, you know, at Dallas down the middle, you know, they have obviously at center, they have Rupe Hintz, you know, Max Domi, Tyler Sagan, and, you know, the rookie Wyatt Johnston, who can play some center too, who's been really good this year. So, you know, even with him back, they still have, Obviously, a bit of an advantage there, uh, you would think. But, uh, you know, and without him, obviously, it gets really tough. But that's probably their uh, their big their big vantage point at this point uh, with their lines in Dallas is that they have a little bit more scoring depth and a little bit more maybe high-end talent than the Wild do. But, you know, like we've watched all year, like Brett just mentioned, uh, you know, the Wild have had their most success when they've played that grinding, you know, as they talked about all your playoff style game, you know, like Dean Everson said it, you know, we know how to play that way uh, in the press conference of the uh, at the game in Nashville as the regular season came to an end. So, yeah, they just got to do that. And obviously with, with Eck, though, obviously the big question is how healthy is he actually going to be? I mean, I would assume if he's going to be back tomorrow night that it's going to be how Spurgeon was cut that uh, – you know, kind of a hamstring or whatever injury against Winnipeg that he came back and basically played like 60-ish percent. I mean, I don't know that for sure. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. We're not in the room. But, you know, so who knows exactly how, if he'll be able to play the same way. But, yeah, no, that would be that'd be huge. I mean, even in Dom LeCision's athletic playoff preview today, he said that uh, him being out of the lineup dropped their chances of winning the series by 5%. 
which, you know, may not seem like a ton, but, it, you know, that's a pretty big jump from just one guy in your team. Obviously, who you could make an argument is maybe their most important player overall. So, Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add, but uh, just his defense and his tenacity uh, would be huge on top of a guy that, you know, when you get a guy that can stop the other team's top players and also a guy that puts up 60 points, 23 to 25 goals a season uh, back into your lineup, I mean, one of your, I believe he old, was so. either first or second on the team in power play goals this year as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so you add him to your power play again, of course. Yeah. We really haven't so. seen the Wild's first power play unit since the Klingberg trade. Like, right. what are we, maybe one or two games we've gotten out of that, and one of mm-hmm. them was a kind of a throwaway, you know, exhibition game yeah. essentially. So. Right. Well, I don't have much to add other than that, but um, yeah, I mean. It was a huge surprise to see that he was skating for 45 minutes. Uh, a good surprise, and uh, really hoping that he can be back sooner than later, even if it's at a you know less less than 100 percent, which he will be. So, yeah. So up front for the while, we can kind of choose in here lines, D pairings next. Um, kind of what we've expected here now, what we've kind of seen mm-hmm. over the last month or so. Um, the two things that are pretty much set in stone: first line, fourth line. So your first line, obviously, Kaprizov, Hartman, Zuccarello. Obviously, nothing changing there. Uh, Duhame, Dewar, Reeves will round out the fourth line. Um, and then the wings are pretty much set on the uh, second and third lines with Johansson and Boldy, as well as Nyquist and Felino. And then, obviously, the one little slight wrench in things is, um, you know, who's going to play center where. Uh, if Eric Schneck is back, he will likely slot in right back into that second line with Johansson and Boldy. Freddie Goudreau will slide down uh, with Nyquist and Felino. However, if Eck is not able to go, it sounds like Freddie Goudreau We'll assume that spot between Johansson and Boldy, and Sam Steele will slot in between Gus Nyquist and Marcus Foligno. D pairings, as we've talked about, that top four, you know, seemingly hasn't changed hardly at all a season. Middleton Spurgeon, Brodeen Dumba, um, and then as we did talk about, um, it does sound like Brock Faber will get the chance to start um, in that spot. Um, who that other partner to his left will be remains to be seen between one of the Johns, either Merrill or Klingberg. Uh, depending on if Klingberg is healthy. If not, it sounds like it will be John Merrill. And then into the pipes, um, I think the assumption is it will be Philip Gustafson, though it doesn't sound like we'll know for sure um, until puck drop tomorrow. Um, But we can discuss that very briefly here. I think we'll all be in agreement, as is the consensus, that Philip Gustafson should start game one, um, unless I'm wrong in that assumption that all three of us think that should be the way they go. Yeah, no, I think that's safe to assume. I mean, uh, yeah, I think he's earned it the way he's played all year and, and, you know, kind of stood on his head for this team. He's got better numbers than Flurry, and also second in goals against average and save percentage behind uh, all marks. So uh, I don't think there's a reason to not start him. You know, we'll see how it goes. It may be, if we hope he has a good game one, but if he doesn't, you always have that option to, you know, start Flurry the next game. But I, I absolutely think he's earned the chance to start game one. Mm-hmm. No, that's not really a – you know, at least to, you know, like we said, we don't even think it's really that hard. But, you know, at least to me, not really a super hard decision for at least game one. I mean, you know, that game the Wild did play in Dallas where, you know, Gus was in that. I think they lost 4-1, got outplayed pretty bad. But he did look, you know, like he has the whole year, but he looked pretty good there. He uh, was in their one, their shootout win against them here at home, 2-1. to one, Made, I think, like 38 saves or something. So there's, you know, it's just a couple of games, but there's a little bit of history there this year of him specifically playing well against that that team. So, 
hopefully that just helps in his uh, confidence bit, which I mean, like we said, like we've seen now, he doesn't, doesn't seem to face him all that much. Like doesn't, you know, a lot of people, the question was, you know, the debate, whether Fleury is going to go is obviously his argument is that he has the experience playing under the bright lights and all that. Uh, no pun intended uh, in Dallas, but, uh, but obviously he just doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who's going to be rattled by that at all. Just calm, level-headed. I mean, he said in that feature that Joe Smith did that, you know, hockey is not so serious, right? I mean, he was kind of a Brzezgalov-like quote where he just seems to have a lot of fun and just worry about making the next save and stopping the next puck. So I think that's uh, I think that's definitely the, the right choice for game one and then just see where it goes from there. Yeah, and I don't want to. This isn't one of. This isn't like a crap on flurry thing. I want to go to next. It's more so no. a, a testament to Gustafson here. I just feel like the team plays a little bit better, a little more confident in front of Gustafson. A lot like I think how they played a little bit more calm and collected in front of Cam Talbot last year. And I think it's for the same reason, right? Uh, Mark Andre Flurry. More often than not, you can count on him to make the first save. But then you don't know where the puck is going after the first save. It might come right back into the slot. It might skirt right back out to the guy who just shot it. Where a lot of times, all of a sudden, Fleury's diving across the crease, and it feels like this panic situation where Gustafson, like, even if there is a rebound, it just feels like he's always, you know, it's calm. He's square to the next shot, or the defensemen are ready to clear that puck out. It just feels like there's this calmness in front of the defense when they play with him. They play with a little more swagger. They feel that they can maybe take a little more chances moving the puck up the ice, don't have to scramble as much in front of their net. Whereas, I mean, we saw how many times, and I don't know if it was just coincidence, but late in the season, it seemed like every time Marc-Andre Fleury played, it felt like the first period, the Wild just got hammered. Like, it would be like 17, 18 shots. And Fleury, to his own credit, usually stopped most of those, right? But it just seemed like something mentally was different when it was Gus versus Fleury, especially late in the season. So, I think you have to explore that um, a little, you know, things like that, too, a little bit. Um and then I think also just his emotions to me are just a little bit more in check. Right? Like I think you can see, I mean, and I don't have any problem with the goalie being pissed that he gives up three goals, right? And we've seen Flurry, you know, a couple times this year, you know, smack his stick or, you know, chuck it down the ice or whatever and be angry. And, you know, Gus, we've seen it a little bit. You know, we saw the spike of the puck the one time when he finally caught it in his glove in a game which I believe he ended up getting a shutout in. Yeah. I think um, yeah. he felt he said he felt like he had two blockers um, but like that was you know that's like the one incident I have in my head I can remember of kind of that calmness and I think you know in, the, in playoffs that's such a huge thing is you know knowing your goalie at least outwardly isn't showing if he's rattled because um, I think that can worry your defenseman it can you know give a little chip on the shoulder to the other team those types of things um, but all that said I think one of the biggest adjustments that we'll see from the coaching staff in this playoff series is a very short to pretty much non-existent leash um, mm-hmm. in loyalty to the goalies, right? So I think, you know, if Philip Gustafson comes out, you know, first period gives up three goals, it wouldn't shock me if Marc-Andre Fleury's in there in period two. Or if he goes out and gives up four goals in game one and the Wild lose the game, I wouldn't be surprised if Marc-Andre Fleury comes in in game two. Um, even if it's three and they lose, I wouldn't be shocked if it's maybe Fleury in game two. Just to change things up. Um, and I think the same goes, I think, on the blue line, especially with that third pair. If Faber goes out and just the playoffs look like too big of a stage for him, it wouldn't shock me if Goligoski's back in there or if, you know, it is Klingberg or Merrill or whoever. Um, you know, they have some options here where I think, you know, no spot is really safe. And I think they'll be much more willing to make changes this year because of the, you know, it's not all-star depth, but they have options where they can, you know, change things up, look for different views. So, 
Um, that's the other piece that I'm kind of going to be watching and see how they adjust if they have to um, as well. Well, that's been like one of the big talking points, as you mentioned, was the lack of adjustments in the playoffs last year that the Wild took while uh, specifically Dean Evison, while, you know, in St. Louis, the second they lost the game and went down, they went and changed the goalie, you know, jumbled up the lines a little bit just to get a new feel going. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily put everything into a blender. We know that's not their style particularly, but, you know, Brett, you do, we're talking about the goaltending, obviously that's the most, you know, I guess blatant one of last year is when they rode for the first five games. And then when their backs against the wall is when they decided to make a change. Whereas, you know, you, it seems like from their comments, at least, as you said, that they've kind of learned from that and, you know, understand that they can't just, you know, that they can't just completely leave the room to themselves to figure it out. Can't just leave it to the guys to figure it out that they have to be at times a little more hands-on than maybe they'd like to just to, you know, ensure that, they, you know, they don't fall too far behind and don't, you know, don't wait till it's too late to make a tough decision or two to get the team going. Cause it, uh, you know, like, like we saw last year against St. Louis that can in a series, even if it feels like, you know, oh, you're only down one that can really, uh, that can really turn pretty quickly and go downhill really fast. If you don't, uh, if you're not ready to make decisions that need to be made. Yeah. This is a good problem to have. I mean, absolutely. Uh, those trades, you know, that we made and just gave us extra bodies, gave up some draft picks, whatnot, some prospects that weren't going to sign for us. And, um, to have that many defensemen, uh, you know, kind of rotate in and also, uh, not mentioned, I don't know how his injury status is, but have like Sunquist, like to have these guys that like, if someone has a bad game or it doesn't you know, look like they're playing well, gets hurt, whatever mm-hmm. you have other guys that you can slot in and, you know, play the hot hands, play the, the guys that are playing better and, you know, i be able to make those changes that they didn't make last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of the last, you know, one of the last little things I want to talk about as far from a, a preview uh, perspective is just kind of identifying maybe some areas, strengths, weaknesses, things that we're concerned about, things we're confident in heading into the series. I think, you know, I think we just talked about kind of one right there in terms of the wild, you know, two good goalies they can rely on um, where Dallas is, you know, I think <laughs> I don't think there's any chance Jake Ottinger unless he's hurt is not going to play every game of the series. Um, yeah. I don't think they have quite as much depth on the blue end as the wild. Um, I don't know what their forward depth looks like beyond kind of what they're rolling out starting. Um, but the other area I'm really going to watch, and this is, you know, obviously where the wild completely faltered and, and crumbled last year. It was, it was when it was, it was special teams, um, especially the penalty kill, which was absolutely abysmal. Um, but, you know, coming into the playoffs, looking much better. Um, the wild have the, the 12th, 10th best penalty 10th. kill. Um, on the year, 82%, um, you know, and that comes down to fractions of being top five. Yeah. Uh, New Jersey's at 82.6. The Minnesota Wild are 82 flat. New Jersey's the fifth best. Um, however, or fourth best, excuse me. Uh, however, Dallas, uh, third best penalty kill in the league this year, 83.5%. And then the fifth best power play um, as well uh, this season as well at 25%. So Dallas boasting really good special teams. Um, and I think you look at the wild, you know, this is an area that does concern me a little bit. I mean, the penalty kill has looked good all season long, but the other area that the wild have struggled with this year, it's been staying out of the box. We've seen, they've Mm -hmm. been, I don't know what the final numbers were, but I do know they were among the top of the league and being the most undisciplined team in the league in terms of penalties taken per game. Um, you know, there's that Dallas game, um, I think where the Wild are up like 5-1 or something um, and ended up losing, I think, that game 6-5 in overtime. 
Um, I want to say two or three of those goals in that comeback may have been while shorthanded. Um, you know, it's just it's an area that worries me a little bit. Just seeing, you know, I don't want the old habits to to creep back in. Um, but especially, you know, game one, if you don't have Jules Sinek, who's been one of your top penalty kill mun- minute munchers all season long alongside Freddie Goudreau, I mean, that's that's a big loss. Um, so that's one area I think that worries me um, a little bit. And then on top of that, on the flip side, you know, as, as we mentioned a little bit ago, I mean, we can hope that the wild power play will maybe look better with, you know, potentially Eric Sinek back, with Kaprizov back, um, with John Klingberg, you know, hopefully in the mm-hmm. lineup. But, you know, if... All of a sudden, two of those pieces are missing in Klingberg and Eric Sinek. Now, all of a sudden, you have a whole nother new look, you know, first-line power play that you really haven't had any runtime with. And, frankly, that power play hasn't looked good for probably over a month now. Um, not a ton of goals scored in this last uh, stretch here. And, I mean, we saw, you know, we saw a similar thing last year uh, in the playoffs with, you know, an arguably more skilled, talented team, you know, that especially that game one going over six in the power play. You know, obviously, you know, you there could be games where you get that many calls, and when you do, you need to obviously capitalize on at least one of those because that could be the difference, especially in the playoffs. Obviously, where we know historically it's a lot tighter called, so your chances probably aren't going to come around as much. And you know, especially as you said, Brett, they have a tendency to be in the box more. So it's you know, if they're going to continue to do that, it's obviously, especially with their maybe little less lack of high-end talent than Dallas. Uh, it's you know imperative that they pop in a goal or two while they have the man advantage because you know it, it, I mean there's nothing more to say about it. They just you can't go, you can't blank every game, and you just you, you need to come up big in those situations. That's when uh, that's when it counts. Yeah, I mean their top power play unit scares me: Pavelski, Ben Robertson, Heinz, and, and Heiskanen. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And then I, I think another thing that, you know, kind of scares me a little bit is if we get away from our game and these games become like shootout type games. Um, I, I think we have to stay in the, the tight defensive, good goaltending type game because we saw how quickly Dallas can score when we were up five to one in that game. They ended up tying it, bringing us to overtime. We ended up winning overtime six to five. But uh, if we're going to play, you know, outside of our game and, and play games like that in the series uh, i think that's something that that'll hurt us because dallas can almost score at will because they have you know their top line's really good their power play's good and um i think we're just gonna have to stay within our defensive game uh, to have a, a real shot in this series mm-hmm. and i mean we do like, like Brett mentioned off the top here they're uh you know they're still not great in stats but their pk is improved and even if it doesn't look good the power play is improved so you know, that's encouraging at the very least that they have shown some little bit more ability this year for good chunks of time with this kind of group and this team. So hopefully with you know, a little bit of time under their belts after getting a lot of the injured guys back over the last couple of weeks, they can maybe rekindle some of that uh, that chemistry and, and that good feeling they had going through the first, you know, big first few months of the year when, you know, they were seemingly scoring, you know, getting great chances when they were shorthanded every night. And, you know, for a while there, the power play was really the only way they could score. So, you know, obviously you don't want that to be the only completely dependent on, but, you know, it's important, as we said. Yeah. Uh, The other area for me, and I think this has kind of been, you know, talked about indirectly throughout the show is health. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the Dallas Stars just got Mason Marchment back their last game of the season. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, if nothing has changed since then, uh, they have their full gambit of a healthy roster. 
uh, heading into game one. Um, we obviously know the Minnesota Wild have, ha- you know, Erickson, if he plays, going to be banged up. If, you know, John Klingbert, if he plays, probably going to be banged up. Uh, we know Marcus Johansson had the rib injury. Um, you know, Gustav Nyquist coming off a pretty significant, you know, shoulder injury. So, you know, the Wild probably a little bit not quite as healthy um, as as the Stars. But, um, you know, an area of strength I see for them is I do like, you know, kind of what the Wild are boasting from the back end a little bit better. I think you mm-hmm. look at the top pairings on each side, you have Spurgeon Middleton against Heisken and Colin Miller. I think that kind of washes out. But then I think you look kind of down here. Uh, Brodine and Dumba over Essel and Dell. Yanni Hockenpah gave me the Brodine pairing. Um, and then Ryan Suter and Nils Lundqvist against whichever two guys it ends up being. Uh, Ryan Suter is the slowest guy I've ever seen. I mean, we saw Connor Dewar cook him <laughs> earlier this season. Uh, Nils Lundqvist, um, you know, much like uh, Brock Faber, a rookie, um, I don't think it's been too dynamic defensively this year. So, you know, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at guys like Gus Nyquist, like Matt Boldy, Marcus Johansson, maybe some of those secondary scoring options to exploit. Um, a little bit of that of Dallas's defense. If they can get a four check going with those lines on the ice and then just kind of keep their heads above water when the Robertson line is out there and keep this game five on five and Zeke, as you mentioned, not turn into a track meet, but instead get back to that kind of that suffocating defense, that hard four check uh, type of game. Um, I think that's kind of be the, you know, that that's how you have to beat this Dallas team. And I think in the games where we did see the wild play well against Dallas, I think that was kind of the common theme uh, in those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned, uh, is is Suter on the bottom pair? Or was he on the top with Heiskanen I saw recently? The Athletic's showing him with Lundquist on the on the third okay. pairing, as of now, okay. but I don't know. How Maybe that was that changed, but yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I, that was obviously, I agree with you, that was definitely what stood out to me too when looking at is just the overall depth. You know, obviously, like you said, Heiskanen is a great all-around defenseman scores and defends really well as a great skater and all that so he's you know probably the best defenseman on the ice overall but they have the like you said they have the depth there and the ability to you know not just have to you know put out the third pair or put out another guy out there as you know you know their third pair isn't just out there because they have to be out there they're out there because they're capable of you know defending the other team and, and making plays as well so that's you know, obviously, historically, that's been the wild strengths, you know, for pretty much their entire existence. And especially this year, again, that's uh, been a big part of their success uh, overall as a team. So, yeah, no, that'll be a little be very important. But, you know, and back to the just circling back to the health thing a little bit. Yeah, just to interrupt yeah. you quick, Zeke, you're right. So it is Suter Haskinen, uh, Persad Yusuf of okay. The Athletic um, and their third pair, Thomas Harley, Colin Miller. But I think all okay. my original point stand the top yeah. the top pair washes out the top two i give the wild the advantage mm-hmm. no absolutely. and you have the john klingberg revenge narrative yeah no i mean they uh i mean i know he's that's the other thing too is i think he is start with dallas he was fairly good in the playoffs and did produce a good amount of points so you know obviously we'll see if he's healthy but he, he'll probably be in the lineup but yeah i think like i was gonna say with the health thing like you mentioned uh obviously we know how you know, sometimes crazy hockey players are with what they play through at the end of the year. Everyone's always seems to have some sort of bump or bruise or something hurt or pulled or twisted or whatnot. That's kind of bothering them, but they all, you know, like we we're seeing this wild team playing through it. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's like, it's just a war of attrition. So uh, you just got to just work hard and, you know, hopefully that'll end out. Cause I've, even if they're, even if they haven't said it, I have a hard time believing that, 
everybody on Dallas. There's not some little bit of wear and tear here and there too. So For sure. I think it's just, uh, you know, you just got to manage as best as you can. So all that said, the, the, the million dollar question, where do you guys see this series going? Um, as it stands right now, how many games, who do you have coming out on top um, in the most unbiased way you can anal- analyze it? Oh, that's a tough question. It's hard to go unbiased. It is. <laughs> I, I really think it could go, I want to say six. My guy is saying six. And and Dallas scares me. Like Colorado, Dallas, 1A, 1B. I want to say Dallas and six, but... You know, that's my gut, but my heart wants to go wild seven. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, I put that, uh, yeah, no, it's it's obviously hard, like you said, to look past that bias. And obviously we want them to, to obviously to advance, win the playoff series for the first time since 2015. You know, eight years has been a long time. But I think I'm kind of similar to Justin. I think it's in six games, and I think Dallas will probably win. Uh, I think it'll be close. We'll probably have a bunch of 2-1, 3-2 games in there, hopefully. Uh, you know, while, like we talked about, little be able to contain the Robertsons and the Hintzes and all that. But I think, I mean, we saw the, the biggest thing that scares you, obviously, is you saw what Jake Ottinger did against Calgary last year and, you know, pretty much dragged their, his team through that game seven when he made, like, 60 saves through the first three periods in overtime. And, you know really kept that them in it longer than they should have last year. So, you know, that's, we've seen that count a bunch of times in hockey before that you could, you know, you, you, you can out shoot a team 45 to 20 in a game. And it, if the goalie has a great night, you still end up with the loss. So I think that's kind of the deciding factor for me is just the fact that, that they got the, the stud goalie back there and they just have a little bit more depth than the wild do, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah Ottinger I, since March 21st is 7-1 and one with a 9.42 save percentage. So coming in absolutely smoking hot. Um, for me, it's I, I'm, I need to know. I can't make my prediction until I know if Jewel Eriksson-Eck is in game one. If Jewel Eriksson-Eck can play the whole series, um, I think the Wild can win the series. Yeah. Um, with you look at if and I'll add the caveat that that second line is able to still maybe not pour goals in at the rate that they were when Kaprizov was out, but contribute you know a goal every other game or something and find the back of the net the way they were late in the season. Mm-hmm. I, I like the Wild's chances. I think same six seven games, but if and on top of that, I think Philip Gustafson probably has to steal maybe or Flurry has to steal one sure. maybe two of those yeah. games. To give him a chance, but we've seen both of those guys do that plenty of mm-hmm. times this year. Um, but if they don't have Jewel Eriksson neck, you know, first game, I still give him a chance. If it's two games, and if they can't get a game stolen one of those first two, and you're down 0-2 without Eriksson Ek, it's a pretty tough hole to dig out of. Um, so to me, it, it really all hinges on the health of Jewel Eriksson Ek. I like their chances a whole lot more um, with him. I think anyone will tell you the same thing, but. Um, you know, I'm going to go into the assumption that Jewel Erickson Eck plays, I think goes the distance. I think Ecker's in the lineup tomorrow and I'll give me the wild and seven. Yeah. I, I, that's why I said my gut says <laughs> like, it, it's hard because it's like, I guess, it, yeah, they, I don't know. I can't even talk right now, but I, I just feel like, like we've mentioned before, this, this team's <laughs> built better for the playoffs this year than last year. And, you know, I, I guess part of me feels like it, it does 
not pardon me, it does hinge on Act Two, and that's kind of where I went Dallas and six, but mm-hmm. uh, and then Wild and seven. That's why I was kind of like wrestling, but uh, obviously I want it to be Wild, and I think if they do win the series, it'll be in seven games. I got to reverse uh, jinx it after last year, and I had them going pretty much to the final uh, in my bracket. You know, I basically didn't think they could lose a game last year, and the yeah, see how that went out. So hopefully, a little bit of our magic on the show here with the. The verse jinx can work, but yeah, yeah no. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see. we'll see. All right, and then we did have some listener questions here. We've maybe hit some of them along the way, but we do have some time left, so we will run through those listener questions here. Uh, let's start with the first one. All right, so our first question comes in here from Nick Lane, asks, if the Wild do not make it to the second round, is Dean Evison gone? Absolutely uh, not. I'm with you. Unless Justin. they get swept in four games and get beat ten to nothing in every game. Yeah. I still don't no. think he's gone. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's probably I not. think they I like him too much. And I think I mean overall he's done a well job with you know with what what they have with cap space and mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, I don't think he's absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean I think you look at what this team has accomplished the last two seasons, two seasons a hundred plus. Um, as you guys mentioned, you know, the dealing, you know, it's Garen has to deal with it, but also the coach. You know, he's got to right. play with the hand that he's dealt. And, you know, I think Garen's put a good team in front of him. But um, I think it could potentially, you know, maybe put him on a on a warm seat heading into next season. Yeah. You know, if it gets to a third season where they're in the playoffs at the same point, you know, a similar point total, all these things, and it's mm-hmm. three years in a row of first-round exits, then I think you got to look at it from there. But um, I think he'll still have a leash at least for one more year. Um, and then like Zeke said, unless it's maybe a, a straight four game sweep where, you know, zero adjustments are made or, you know, it just, everything hits the fan, um, you know, maybe, but even that, I, I don't know if it would happen at, at that point either. Agreed. All right. Uh, James Lowry asks, how many seconds into Jamie Ben's first shift will it take for his first cross check? I think he does it at zero seconds. He'll do it right off the opening face off. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, What's his What's his number? Does anybody know? Jamie Ben. 14. 14. 14. 14. Okay, so then 14 seconds. 14 seconds. All right. To his first nice. shift. All right. Uh, average Minnesota sports fan, most important factor in this series. I think we addressed that um, being mm-hmm. pretty much Jewel Erickson Eck and the special teams. Um, how long is a leash for whatever goalie they start? We hit on that. We think it's pretty short. Um, Michael Russo, good friend of the pod, uh, has a question for Zeke. <laughs> Would like to know what will trigger his first profanity profanity laced uh, tirade in the series. <laughs> well, uh, I think anyone who follows me on Twitter knows it'll probably be the officiating. Uh, you know, I like whether right or wrong. I, you know, have a history of going in hard on them and and or as uh, we're trying to see the reply. What uh, Darshan at clone Darshan replied to me said or Jamie Ben as we just talked to is probably the other big potential here to really tick me off while I'm you know sitting on my couch you know I said earlier uh, I'll, I'll try to tone it down if if I do sometimes the betting but, odds have the officiating by the way I checked I checked the Vegas the the betting team sports <laughs> yeah, book number one um, so, good, good hey, look, odds I, on. it's hard you, for me to uh, you said you're gonna try not to have your tirade but it's 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 going to be upped emotions. It's the playoffs, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I think it'll be tough. Like yeah. I said, when in the heat of battle, uh, sitting in my living room on the couch, it'll be hard <laughs> not to uh, not to 
at times. But we'll try to limit to slightly lose it. Okay, slightly lose it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Jordan wants to know in what possible ways the Wild win this series. Is a miracle needed? I think we hit on that again. It hinges on Erickson Eck and whether or not the Wild can get a game or two stolen from uh, Gus and or Flurry. Um, Matthew at Minnesota Wild Talk wants to know, uh, is Erickson X leg out of, made out of vibranium or adamantium, which I assume are probably two of the most world's durable metals. Um, it, it's probably a composite of both, maybe. Yeah. I actually have a different answer for that. Oh, yeah? It's actually made up of nuclear pasta. <laughs> By the way, that's a super dense uh, material, 10 billion times harder to break than steel. So I'm going right. with nuclear pasta. <laughs> Uh, here's a good question. Which bottom six guy will have to step up and score for us to become a second round team? I don't think it matters who it is. I just think they need to, someone needs to, um, I think we can't have in the past so many passengers where, you know, a couple guys are scoring and, and we're not getting any depth scoring. So uh, I really think all of them need to step up really and, and, and you know, play a tougher game and, and contribute offensively where they can. Yeah, I don't think he. This guy necessarily, you know, needs to score for you know lack of scoring because he's been hurt. But I think, uh, you know, Gustav Nyquist, who's looked pretty good in the few games that he's yep. played, is big. It really adds a little bit more depth and scoring to that third line with you know Felino and potentially Gaudreau. So I think him or Gaudreau are probably uh, you know the two guys that are on that you know in that bottom six that are probably the most uh, capable and have the history of being able to produce when they need it. Yeah, I'm I'd with like you. I'm with I'm with you on Nyquist for sure. I mean, this is a guy we know has a lot of offensive skill. Um, and granted, it's been you know I think by way of like an empty netter playing against some poor teams, but he's over a point per game uh, with the Minnesota Wild. Like this is a guy that mm-hmm. in every game he's played in, I think he has at least a point. Um, you know, a po- opponent, you know, indifferent time of the season, indifferent. But um, it's a guy that plays with a ton of speed and. You know, we talk about, you know, how can you, you know, what what goes the distance, you know, if you're trying to keep the Robertson line at bay and, you know, maybe that's by way of the Kaprizov line or the Eck line, it opens up opportunities for those other lines. Um, and if, you know, Gus Nyquist can kind of come in and continue to, you know, put some pucks in or, or make plays, as we've seen him uh, make some plays, you know, uh, the, the two assists against St. Louis, both really, really nice plays, you know, good speed. So I think he's the one absolutely – um, that could make an impact because I think, you know, God forbid something happens to one of the top um, four wingers. I think he's the, the obvious replacement for, for any one of them. So he's the guy I'm definitely looking at. Um, and then I think Zeke, as you mentioned, Freddie Goudreau, depending if he starts on that third or second line, um, would be nice to see some from him as well. I did give kind of a vague answer, but I'll give a different answer to another player I'd like to see is uh, Brandon Duhame. Um, I, I just, I like his game. I like how quick he is. Um, uh, the grittiness and you know we've seen him score some pretty cool goals this season so uh, you know i'd like to see him pot a couple in the playoffs as well and then i will add this too outside of a scoring standpoint i want to see energy from ryan reeves um you know i think mm-hmm. that was one of their biggest swings and misses the playoffs last year was putting connor dewar in the press box all series and throwing an injured Nick Delorier out there who just got caved every shift, didn't fight anyone, was hardly throwing his weight around, and was basically just a pylon and a waste of space on the ice. All due respect to the guy, he was fun as heck to watch, and I'm sure he's a great teammate. But in the playoffs last year, he was virtually invisible um, and just, you know, didn't add anything. And, you know, Ryan Reeves, you know, we, we've talked all season since they made that trade that, hey, you know, this kind of feels like the Nick Delorier trade 
all over again. And then, you know, Kaprizov goes down, re-stepped up, got some big goals. We saw him, you know, drop the gloves in a big situation against Winnipeg late in the game, you know, standing up for his teammates. That's the kind of stuff, you know, fighting doesn't happen as much in the playoffs, but that doesn't mean he can't go out there and maybe bump into a guy and, you know, just trying to get in their heads a little bit. I mean, no one wants to fight him, but, you know, go out there, push guys around, play physical, um, get in their heads, chirp them a little bit. Just those little things, you know, to bring that playoff atmosphere um, bring the energy to that bench, and you know that fourth line. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have the stats. It would take me forever to look up, but you know there are a lot of games when that line seemingly steps up that the Wild seem to win games, um, and there'll be opportunities. Justin, I mean, we Brandon Duham, you know, could probably be a third line player on a lot of teams. You know the way he's played this year, Connor Dewar, we know his value um, defensively and on the penalty kill. So everyone has a role to play on that fourth line. So I would love to see him. It doesn't have to be by way of goals. A goal would be great. Like a yeah. Revo playoff goal would be insane. It would probably make Twitter lose its mind, <laughs> yeah, <well. laughs> um, especially if it's like a dangle on Ryan Suter or something. But, um, you know, I, I really am hoping that Ryan Reeves, you know, steps up and does something. But I think at the same time, too, is I think that's another guy I think that could potentially have a short leash where if you're not really seeing what you need to see out of him and Oscar Sundquist is ready to go, um, I could see him slotting into that spot potentially too if they're looking for maybe a, a, a bit more offense or you know a little bit something you know a different look there. And I, I do think one advantage that Reeves may have over Delorier is, and you know this is just me spitballing, is he's played in some of these big games, big series mm-hmm. when he you know played for the Blues, played for the Knights. Right. So maybe you Penguins. know he can find that extra gear that Delorier maybe couldn't find. So yep. Uh, next question here from Kemper Cougar. I uh, would like to know how we get wild fans to boo Ryan Suter every time he hits the ice at home games. Um, I think if you just started, I don't think too many people would be afraid to um, to chime in. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that I, I don't think that really happened very much here. I, I don't know. It doesn't yeah, seem it's never too late to start. No, but I I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> Whatever. It's this is what it is. I don't. I guess I just don't see a. It doesn't seem like we're that kind of, kind of crowd here, regardless of, you know, right, wrong, however you feel about a guy. It doesn't seem like a lot of people will be in there. But, you know, if you go on Twitter from the looks of it, from what I can see, if you just mention his name here and surprisingly in Dallas, it's kind of funny how it took like half a year for he's like enemy number one among their fans. Oh, they so, hate him. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's so slow. He gets beat all the time. I was like, uh-huh. That's your pylon. It's like, it was kind of like reading through Sabres fans after, about Jordan Greenway, like after three oh, weeks. Yeah. There's like, yeah, this guy's like a bottom six forward at best. Like, mm-hmm. like we gave away a second round pick for this. Yes, you did. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Thank you. All the best to Greener, but I think he yeah. just is what he is. Right. Um. Anyway, tangenting. Um, the last question here that we'll get to, uh, Joseph Nemoriak asks, um, said he saw someone suggest that Dean would consider, uh, Kalen Addison as a power play only player going 11 forwards, uh, 70. And he says, well, that isn't happening or could it, uh, what are some out of the box strategies you want to see, uh, if things were to get desperate? Um, I'll start with that scenario. I think if, you know, we talk about how important special teams are in the playoffs, um, you know, if someone, you know, if, if maybe a Ryan Reeves isn't really doing much, if there's an, maybe an injury to someone in the forward group, and especially if the power play can't find shit, um, with Klingberg or, you know, if Klingberg's hurt, you know, it's probably going to be Jared Spurgeon, um, on that top unit, maybe Brodine. um, you know, <laughs> the wilds have this room for specialists, but 
You know, we saw how good that power play was when it was quarterbacked by Kalen Addison. You know, maybe it means shortening your bench to three lines with two extra forwards and Kalen Addison, who's there to literally play on the power play. Um, we saw St. Louis do it last year with Scott Prunovich. Um, worked out for them, right? Um, you know, is that an out-of-the-box thing that is likely to happen? No. Um, but I don't hate the idea if it came to the point where the power play just isn't doing anything you need to kind of spark that. Somehow, I think, you know, picking him out for somebody I don't think would be the worst plan. Um, but again, it really comes down to who who can you take out at that point, especially if you're already down Eck. I don't see them doing it if, if they're down Eck already, too. Yeah, I, I have an idea that I'm just spitballing off the top of my head, and I don't think would happen. But if we're really desperate, put Boldy on uh, the line with Zuccarello Kaprizov, uh, juggle the lines to, uh, you know, hopefully Sunquist is back. But mm-hmm. Johansson, Nyquist, Eck, hopefully an Eck is back. And then uh, Felino, um, Goudreau, Sunquist type, you know, juggle the lines up a little bit. This is just spitballing, but uh, really, you know, if we're really desperate, you want, you know, your best players on one line and then, you know, a good line of Eck, Nyquist, Johansson, and, and you know, go from there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've seen, obviously we've seen those guys play before out of penalty kills a little bit and on the power play, and we've even seen Boldy. He's able to, you know, he's not a center, obviously, but he's been able to take draws, so maybe he could play a period there. I think mine's kind of similar to yours, Justin. I mean, you know, we've seen, obviously, Zuccarello has struggled the last month, and it didn't seem like he was really that much better in the two or three games since Kaprizov's back, and obviously, you know, they could be great the first game, show that same chemistry, and it won't matter, but, you know, if he's still just not looking very good and is throwing pucks left and right, would you maybe move him off that line and switch it around a little bit. I don't know exactly the ramifications of it, but I don't know. I feel like that's, I mean, you know, Joseph was asking if things get desperate. You know, if that's, yeah. I mean, that's maybe, maybe that. that situation where you can throw a Gus Nyquist there. Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I think we talked about this kind of right at the start of the show. You know, is it a, is it bringing in, you know, a black ace? Is it a Marco Rossi or an Adam Beckman? Mm-hmm. Are they going to come in and light things on fire? No, but Maybe they just give you, you know, something missing, um, you know, a little bit different look. So they'll have mm-hmm. options, right? Um, yeah. Hopefully, it, hopefully we don't have to be desperate at any point. Right. But um, I think, you know, even just non-desperation strategy, I just want to see Dean Evason make changes when things aren't going well regardless. Even yeah. if it's bad for a period, come out and start a different line. Um, change your goalie. Flip, out, flip around a D pair, you know short shorten the bench like those types of things that we just we we did not see in-game adjustments or game-to-game adjustments at all last year and that to me was was really kind of like maddening is like there was ways where this you know would it have saved the playoff series tough to say who knows um but could it have maybe and but we'll never know because it was never tried until it was too late Mm -hmm. so that would be even the bigger thing for me is just seeing that willingness to make a change um if they have to maybe that's you know shuffling around the top power player or maybe you know balancing out your two units if you can't get one to go you know maybe it's a you know johansson you know goes on the first and you slide you know a zuccarello down or maybe it's johansson and boldy are kind of your one two punch on the second unit and it's kaprizov and zuccarello on your first unit you know just little little tweaks and changes like that um just the willingness to do it would be big for me yeah Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's about as much as we can talk about wild-wise. Um, we won't go round by round here, series by series, but um, 
playoff matchups set. We know the brackets in the West: Wild Stars, Oilers, Kings, Vegas, uh, Winnipeg, Colorado, Seattle, and then the East: Hurricanes, Islanders, Bruins, Panthers. Uh, what should be, in my opinion, the best series of the playoffs: the Devils and the Rangers. Um, and then, of course, another rematch between the Maple Leafs and the Lightning. Um, is there a series you guys want to talk about? Otherwise, we can just skip on right ahead to who do you think the final two teams uh, that make it into uh, the Stanley Cup final are, and who do you think takes it home? Yeah, I you know I'm gonna I'll go first, I guess, but I have uh, Boston Edmonton in the final. I think you know Boston's the boring. Damn, pick. way to be original, you and everybody and- else. I know, that's the boring pick, and we've seen how Tampa went last year, a couple years ago against Columbus, obviously, when they're good. But I don't know, I guess they just from just kind of reading about them, it just seems like they kind of just got the vibe going this year and just seem to be, you know, obviously regular season different from playoffs, and, you know, we'll see if they can turn it on. But it just seems that, I mean, they got two great goalies, you know, two guys playing at almost the Vesna level. They just seem to be. I mean, they're always Boston. They're always good in the playoffs. They're always a very hard team to beat. So a lot I of guys with tons of playoff experience. Yes, that's true. So and a lot of them, it's potentially obviously their kind of last chance to win. It seems like Bergeron is probably going to retire. Krejci may be gone. So you know, I think that's the motivating factor too. And I think on the other side, I think Edmonton. Obviously, we saw them get swept out by Colorado in the conference final last year even with McDavid and Drysdale carrying them, but it just seems, you know, the last half of the season they've been really good. And, yeah, I mean, you know, even Stuart though... Skinner's been revelate. Like, they're, they've had yeah. such a history of a weak blue line yeah. um, and, you know, and weak goaltending. Stuart Skinner's been really, really good for them. Um, I, you know, the, the one pause I'd have, that that's a, you know, that's a rookie goalie, um, right? So how does he handle the playoffs? And then the addition yeah. of Matthias Ekholm has made such a huge difference to their blue line as well. Um, Evan Bouchard has been a great QB for them, but I mean, they're a power play in Edmonton. I mean, that thing is special. Is. Um, and I just, yeah, yeah, I'll get to mine in a minute, but yeah, I mean, it's this is a different Edmonton team, I think, than the one like for, for the better, um, than the team that made it to the conference finals no. last year. No Mike Smith letting in goals from full length ice anymore, <laughs> right? Before, so Justin, who you got? I'm gonna go a little outside the box. I was gonna pick Boston, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, go with a repeat of the 2001 Stanley Cup Finals, New Jersey and Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think Colorado's hitting on all cylinders now, and, and they're mostly healthy. Of course, they don't have Landeskog for the playoffs, but I mean they're defending champs for a reason. And then uh, New Jersey's been uh, good all year. Added Timo Meyer at the deadline. Uh, just a really good young team, and uh, uh, I think. Gosh, who do I want to pick to win that one? Is I'm going to go with New say, Jersey. Do you, pick, do you take in Boston to win it all? Yeah, I'm taking okay. Boston. Yeah, I'm going to pick New Jersey to win it all. Okay. Well, I'm going to kind of – this is my pick before both of you talked. I have a combination <laughs> of your picks. So I want, I, in my brain it was Edmonton and New Jersey um, <laughs> with Edmonton winning it all. Um, I, I just think, you know, I am such a believer in special teams make all the difference – and mm-hmm. um, Edmonton's power play is so, so good. Um, and I think, to me, I think their hardest matchup is going to be against the Kings. Um, the Kings have found a way to kind of maybe keep a little bit more of that uh, that Edmonton group in check. Um, but the Oilers, their defense has improved mightily. Um, they're mm-hmm. riding Stuart Skinner. The, the penalty kill is great, or the power play is great. The penalty kill has gotten a lot better. 
Um, and, you know, Connor McDavid's just having a historic season, and it's hard to not pencil him in for basically two points a game because that's almost what he did this year. You know, just a shade under. I think it was he finished with it was over 150, I think, in yeah, however many games he played. Yeah. But, you know, nearly a two-point-per-game player, like, and – I don't know. There's just there's so many. They have three 100 point scores in the team. I think a lot of people like didn't realize Ryan Nugent Hopkins hit 100 points this year. With the the quietest, quiet, probably 100 quiet, yeah. point season in the history of the NHL. Um, and the Devils, I just love the way they play. I think they have there's excellent depth down the middle with you know guys like uh, you know Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. They have awesome young players and guys like Dawson Mercer. They added Timo Meyer. They've got Dougie Hamilton on the blue line. Um, to me, it'll come down to can their you know can the goaltending you know stay stable enough um, for them, which I think it can. But I think you know they play the type of hockey that I like, and that is just fast. You know, I'm not a big you know I'm a wild fan, and I don't always love the boring physical. You know, it works sometimes, but I just think in the playoffs, if you have three lines, you can just keep running with speed. I think you look at you know last year's Avalanche, you look at some of the old. Um, Tampa Bay Lightning teams, I mean, you look at that third line that was uh, Coleman, was it Sorelli on that line, and... Um, was, that, uh, was, that, was that Nick Paul last year? Yeah, somebody or... else, but they've, all, like, they've always had like, a nice mobile, fast third line. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just the style that I like, and I think for the Eastern Conference, I think that's the type of hockey you're going to have to play to get through it, because I think that's just kind of the running gun that most of those teams play, so... Um, all that said, I, I just, I do think Edmonton, I think this is their year. Um, I think, you know, Connor McDavid's coming in determined and if that guy wants, it's going to be hard to take it away from him. So, um, yeah. yeah. So there we go. Uh, beefy show, you know, covering as much as we possibly could sanely, um, heading into the first <laughs> round of the playoffs. Hopefully we'll be proving another Minnesota wild playoff series here soon. Um, but any final thoughts here? Um, for you guys here before we head into game one, now less than 24 hours away from the time of this recording. I'll just enjoy it. I mean, this is the best time of year. Playoff hockey is the best. I mean, all the intensity is up and, and uh, more revved up and, you know, more emotional. But, uh, you know, no matter what happens, you know, you hope the, the Wild make a run and, and make us happy. But if not, just know that, you know, we're too – with each passing season, we're another year closer to being out of cap hell. But uh, no, mm-hmm. just enjoy this. It's, the playoffs are just freaking amazing. So, Zeke, yeah, you know, kind of a lot of similar thoughts. Just you know, at this point, obviously, you know, with, like just mentioned, with their as we talked about ad nauseum for the past two years with their cap situation, that any success you know that they get in these kind of this three year window is a little bit you know of icing on the cake, a little bit of bonus that you know the fact that this team is, you know, like you said, been a hundred plus points each year and been very competitive in their division is great. But, you know, obviously at the same time, you would like to see a little bit of a payoff at the end to at least win a series sometime eventually just to just, you know, just to have that fun and to get a little excited, like you guys mentioned, and keep that, that run going a little bit longer and especially getting beat a division rival like uh, Dallas in the first round would be a, uh, would pretty would be pretty fun. And, you know, obviously we'd all, love for that to happen so just uh yeah no just hoping for the best hoping they can uh pull out a win here and just uh really excited for the uh the loud atmosphere at the x which you know will be uh be rocking for game three i really sorry to interrupt you brett but thinking about what you said i really want another run like we had when we made it to the conference finals i was in high school when that happened it was 
incredible mm-hmm. being you know watching that witnessing that so it'd be absolutely incredible to, to witness that again yeah uh my final thought is don't forget that the you know, there's other teams playing besides the wild i mean even if you're a casual hockey fan and you only follow the wild mm-hmm. i mean this is some of the best hockey you will watch in your lifetime i mean this is a league you know that's seen scoring up this year like we've never seen it before um and i expect that to continue in the playoffs and there's four games on a night basically from you know at least probably the next week at a minimum um so just enjoy it watch some good hockey cheer loud for the wild try to keep sanity on twitter um that's more (laughs) a note to myself as well i managed to do it for the last avalanche game so i know it can be done uh we'll see uh player cards won't be going anywhere they'll still be in the playoffs um for those looking for uh end of the year kind of those comprehensive ones um i will probably work on those at the conclusion of the wild season um as kind of one of our first episodes following you know the end of their season is kind of that season recap the player evals mm-hmm. um our scorecards player grades episode that we've done i think every year since we've started this show so we'll run through that so um those aren't going anywhere they'll just be you know officially once the season is done and to the best of my ability i will have the player cards from uh the playoffs after every game uh here as well so yeah uh looking it's gonna be gonna be fun should be some good games and just remember you know losing one game losing two games doesn't mean it's over um so keep keep the faith and and cheer loud for the boys so i hope they can get it done uh justin that said why don't you remind everybody where they can find you and all of your work uh, you can find me at DE's2004. You can find me at CapriceofC with the CapriceOf Countdown. You can find me at PipelineUMD with UMD Bulldogs Pipeline. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with MNW Young Guns. Zeke. Yeah, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Zeke Boyat, capital Z and capital B. And if you want to connect with me, that's where you'll be able to find me. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you are following the podcast account as well at Sound the Foghorn. All one word, both on Twitter and Instagram. The Wild in Dallas Stars Western Conference quarterfinals kick off tomorrow night in Dallas, 8.30 p.m. Followed up another 8.30 p.m. start Wednesday night. Another 8.30 p.m. start Friday night. That one's at home. And then a 5.30 p.m start at home on sunday um and that's kind of what the next that's all we know for now so 8 30 8 30 8 30 5 30 every other day of the week starting tomorrow we will probably hopefully join you again thursday night uh between games two and three uh break down what we've seen through the first two games hopefully good um but other than that until then this has been another episode of 